Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm Liam Bailey, Head of Research at Knight Frank. Now, the last few weeks have seen a rash of banking failures, rescues and emergency central bank action in the US, Europe and also here in the UK. The lesson being that if rates move from zero to 4%, things seem to break. Now, whilst the media has been rightly focused on the banking system and has been busy looking for the next weak link, the real estate sector has been braced for fallout. Now, to help me understand what's at stake and how banks are set to react, I'm joined by Knight Frank's Head of Debt Advisory, Lisa Attenborough. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you, Liam. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into the current crisis, let's go back to the last one, which is actually mm-hmm. from last autumn, the mini budget, spiking gilt yields, capital markets closed down. But then my recollection is we were enjoying a thawing in, in markets through the first quarter of this year. So Lisa, just take us through that period. So from the trust premiership to the beginning of March, so the crisis and then the kind of recovery, what was your recollection and experience in the debt markets then? So the mini budget was probably far from mini, actually, last year in in terms of the impact that it had on real estate transactions, certainly um, uh, the number of real estate transactions that we were working on. The impact that had was was quite wide reaching. The reason being that it obviously prompted a surge in swap rates across the UK. And it actually meant that whereas before we were seeing interest rates rise globally, it really set the UK apart from from its European counterparts and, and from the US in terms of just how much swap rates were, were increasing. As a result of that, a number of transactions across the board started to crater. They started to fall over. And the reason they started to fall over was because the all-in cost of debt reached such levels that it meant that debt was no longer accretive to investor returns. What happened in the months that followed was a slight tightening of credit conditions in the UK. So there definitely wasn't a a widespread credit crunch that we saw in the financial crisis. But lenders did start to take the view that we're in September, October time now. We've had a great year in terms of deploying capital. Why don't we put the brakes on a little bit? Because if we put the brakes on a little bit, we can't make any mistakes for the rest of the year. And actually, you know, we've had such a good year, we don't need to make any rash decisions now. So generally speaking, banks and funds pulled back from the market slightly, which tightened credit. This meant that margins started to increase slightly, which when you add to the the underlying swap rate, the cost of debt spiked. So that was Q4 of 2022. Now, as we came into January, there's there's a lot of human behaviour and human nature that that plays into decision making here, because everyone comes back in January and thinks, okay, right, we're good to go. We've had some time off. There's there's been some turmoil, but we've got a new year. We've got a clean start, a fresh balance sheet. Let's deploy some capital. And coupled with that, we'd had a period of relative stability. So the market started to cool a little bit, margins stabilised and swap rates reached levels that were probably a little bit more akin to those which we were seeing in the US and Europe. And that then brings us up to March, which is where I'll probably hand back to you, Liam. Okay, so things were beginning to improve. And then we heard the rumours around Silicon Valley Bank. In terms of the current crisis, the current banking crisis, was that the, the first sign that you saw in the market was ultimately the the news around SVB? It was, albeit 
I'm probably skirting over the pension fund issue that we had last year, which was as a direct result of the uh, the mini budget. That was probably the first kind of big question mark that was raised to me of, you know, how bad is this period of volatility going to be? How volatile is it going to be? But as I said a moment ago, that that kind of settled slightly over the months that followed. When Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, that was definitely the first sign of, of kind of real distress within the banking market. And And I have to say... I think it caught everybody by surprise. Now, hindsight's a wonderful thing. You know, when you look back at what's happened over the last 12 months, with interest rates increasing as they have, of course, where there is an action, there is always going to be a reaction. There is going to be some kind of implications from tightening monetary policy to such a degree. And that's what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank. The problem was that they were exposed to long-dated bonds, which had, frankly, tanked in value because of the rise in interest rates. And again, I come back to the kind of human nature, human behaviour side of things. Once the news of these long-dated bonds got out and the reduction in their value got out, then fear kicked in. And that's what prompted a run on the bank. It's human nature, it's fear. Am I going to lose my my cash deposits with my previously trusted bank? And that prompted a run on the bank, which meant that the FDIC quickly had to step in to start to guarantee depositors money. Otherwise, things would have would have potentially got even more out of hand. But yes, the SVB collapse and the other institutions that that also fell with it was the first sign of distress that we've seen, certainly on a global scale. So Focus moves from SVP into Credit Suisse and then more recently Deutsche Bank and other institutions as well. And the the received wisdom seems to be that in terms of the real estate impact is banks may become or have become less favorable towards risk and they may well pull back from some lending into the real estate market. So the impact in terms of real estate is it's going to be more difficult and more expensive to borrow. Is that what you're seeing or is that what you expect? Yes, that, that's the general consensus at the moment. I can't say that that's what we're seeing right now. And, and actually, we've received terms in, in the last month that are pretty competitive. But those terms that we've received from banks would have been secured against residential developments. The living sectors seem to be the specific sectors that lenders are still keen to lend into. And from what we're hearing and what we're seeing in terms of actual debt terms being put out to borrowers or offered to borrowers, there is still appetite in those pockets. But on a broader scale, as I said, the general consensus is that lenders will start to tighten credit conditions. And that makes sense, right? Because if we look back to when COVID first hit the UK and we had those first lockdowns, there was something, it was a term then that was coined the uncertainty fog, right? There was this fog around and nobody knew what was going to happen on a global scale or, you know, or, or on a kind of UK scale. And lenders really struggled to know how to price risk in those situations. And I feel like we're almost at that stage again now, albeit for very, very different reasons. There is this volatility in the market, but overlaying overlaid on top of that is the uncertainty. And it's that uncertainty that lenders struggle to price. The second part to think about here is, is not just the, the pricing of debt, but it's the availability. So in the UK commercial real estate space is largely still dominated by the banks. There have been a lot of new entrants in the last few years, alternative lenders, debt funds and the like, but still the market is dominated by the banks. And the banks are 
generally speaking, more conservative than alternative lenders. Now, if the banks start to pull back in terms of their appetite, and whether that pullback looks like reducing leverage or simply turning down transactions that they might previously have financed, then that tightens the amount of credit in the system, right? That means that the debt funds, the alternative lenders that are there waiting to pick up the slack can, of course, do that, but they charge more handsomely for it, right? So the challenge that we're facing at the moment in in the very immediate term is the potential for tightening of of credit and the knock-on effect of how that is going to increase the cost of debt. In essence, then, looking forward, so the impact is probably banks will become more risk-averse and probably will become more discerning in terms of what projects they're going to lend on. But what you're saying is actually for anyone looking for real estate finance, it's out there. The price may may need to reflect the type of lender it's coming from. And ultimately, that will feed through to property value and deal value. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, And I guess one important point to mention here is that as a debt advisor, the team here has been approached on several occasions over the last few weeks from new entrants into the debt market. So equity investors that have previously directly invested into real estate are now looking to set up credit strategies, which is fantastic for the market because that increases that availability of capital in the debt market. So I believe the availability is is still there. There isn't this wide scale kind of credit crunch that we've experienced um, in previous crises. But the question is more around the affordability of debt. Perfect. So final question from me, Lisa. You mentioned sector-specific lending criteria. Which sectors are kind of of the moment and which banks are more favourable towards at the moment? So I kind of touched on it briefly a moment ago, but to zone in on what I said with regards to the living sectors, because they are by far and away the most preferred at the moment, built-to-rent investment stock, whether it's UK or Europe, and also PBSA, purpose-built student accommodation, very popular for obvious reasons. The student accommodation sector has proven to be counter-cyclical almost in, in demand. As we hit a downturn, many people might potentially be out of work, so they actually pivot towards higher education. This increases the demand for accommodation. And, and at the same time, we've also got a lot of kind of 90s and noughties stock that will need to be updated. So there is definitely that continued supply and demand and balance in the PBSA sector that lenders see, they acknowledge and they understand the trends. So those two sectors are definitely flavour of the month. Other sectors worth mentioning uh, briefly in terms of appetite from lenders is senior living. It's at a different stage compared to PBSA and compared to built to rent in that it's quite nascent sector. But again, in the same way that lenders acknowledge and recognise the demand supply and balance for student and for housing, they can also see that imbalance in the senior sector as well. So that's a space at the moment that we're seeing a lot of activity in the debt funds who are looking to finance construction facilities of senior housing. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Lisa, for joining me today. Thanks, Liam. Great to be here. It just leaves me to remind you all that for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out each Monday, Wednesday and Friday or any one of our sector newsletters and see our show notes for more details. And please subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening to this episode. 